You guys are the worst athletes in the history of football. <laughs> and you know, Chad, who's he? Who's he talking to? He's talking to you. Talking to me, man. Visa, a network working for everyone. Overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their businesses and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network working for everyone. Well, welcome back to Beyond the X's and O's, and, and today we sit down with Steve Young, and uh, we talk about everything. you got to understand our relationship goes back a long time. Uh, we probably could have talked for four hours. But some of the highline items here that I think you'll really love is hearing him talk about his first TV start where he throws six interceptions. He was called one of the worst athletes in the history of Greenwich High School by his the varsity head coach at the time. Uh, he gets into this idea of how you got to go through it, not around it. When I when I talk to him about this culture of quitting these days, talk about his time at BYU. He's number eighth on the depth chart. They move him to defense. Uh, why? Because he didn't know how to throw a football. Here's a Hall of Fame quarterback that uh, talks about how he didn't know how to throw a football in high school. He didn't know how to throw a football when he gets to to BYU. It wasn't until he watches Jim McMahon and studies Jim McMahon that he learns how to throw a football. Uh, we obviously talk about his NFL days, we talk about his family. Um, this is just a man that has great depth, great stories. We talk about our time together on ESPN and a Super Bowl Sunday pregame show that uh, we disobeyed our bosses, and I think they're still mad at us. And then just talking to him about the state of the NFL, and Steve Young's one of the great thinkers that's out there, and uh, his take on just the state of the NFL, the state of quarterbacking. And then there's a little surprise there at the end. He has a conspiracy theory that you're going to want to check out because I think he might just be right. So let's jump in right now with Steve Young. All right, so I could not be more fired up for this guy. I know I was your first choice, yeah. right? This is your yeah. 15th version. I know that I was first, but somehow uh, I blew it, I, I, I'm assuming. I was wondering how many words I would get in before you interrupted me. I used to, when we worked together on ESPN, I used to have a little red marker and I'd do little dashes of how many words I could get in before you jumped in. So even in oh, my intro my to the podcast, introducing you as Hall of Fame quarterback, one of my best friends on the planet, and one of the most interesting men in the world Steve Young, thanks for being with me today, buddy. Trent, good to be with you, man. This is awesome. I, I this is a this is a dream. I have an open mic with you, and people are actually paying attention. There might be people that watch this. This is this is amazing. That's how I was going to get started. Was nine years of television together. We used to have to keep our comments to like forty five seconds. We always ran over. There are no time limits today, so we can talk about all the stuff we talked about off camera. The one thing I don't want to do here is make this the football life all over again. By the way, if you haven't watched Steve's football life on NFL network, it is much CTV. Uh, it is amazing how vulnerable he is. He talks about the book that he's written. Uh, and we'll get into some of that, but please go to NFL network and watch Steve Young's football life. And I don't want to make this a redo of that. I want you to get to talk about all the stuff that didn't make the football life. Uh, I know I was with you on the plane coming back from Monday night football games when you were writing it. When you and Barbara writing it, I know the intention behind it. I know it was for the kids. Um, there's so much good stuff in your life. Your journey is everything this show is supposed to be. It's about a quarterback's journey and all the stuff that doesn't make Sunday morning shows and Monday night NFL shows. So I want to start with Greenwich High School, high school football, tee you up. Talk to me about your high school experience. You're a three-sport athlete, how much that meant to your development, your relationship with your father uh, as he watched you compete. Uh, and then just your first touchdown pass in high school and what that meant to you. I wanted to say rap about 14 times yep, in the last exactly. year. Exactly. That was a big intro just for you. All we ever heard was rap, rap. We had all the producers rap. In fact, one time, Trent, I'll, I'll answer your question about high school, but one time we were at the Super Bowl. We were doing a Super Bowl show, <laughs> and I got so sick of hearing them telling me to rap. I go, Trent, 
let's just keep talking. Don't stop. Yep. I don't care what you talk about. You can talk about hot dogs. You can talk yep. about, just talk about whatever you want to talk about, hamburgers and what you had for lunch. Or And so we did it. And they kept going, rap. We got a rap. And he had, we've talked about that for years. That was the most fun we ever had on TV. That was fe- but we have been together a long time. We should not, we should not just run over that. We were brothers in arms and we had, um, uh, Trent was a guy that, you know, a little younger than me. And so there was like a generation gap as far as just quarterbacks and about the, the, the you know, just things that were going on when I was, you know, exactly when I was playing, we overlapped. But there was a lot of the similar people and a lot of the um, experiences. And I, I think, you know, I get a, I have a unique take on football, I think. That's just kind of my unique <laughs> nature. And Trent got me. Like, nobody, very few people get me. Like, people are like, what? You know, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you believe your stuff that doesn't matter. I'm like, no, that, this is what matters most. And Trent was like the one guy that's like, I get it. I get it. I just, so I love you for that, man. You are, we're, we're, we're bonded forever. Okay. Back to high school. I grew up in the mean streets of Greenwich, yes. Connecticut. Rough. Yeah. Rough. Rough. And I think that I, I, more than anything, it was that my, my perception was that we weren't rich or we weren't poor. We were just, we, we got along. And, uh, my perception is that Greenwich was a great place to be because all my friends were, uh, you know, I was the Mormon, only Mormon kid in town and all my friends were Italian Catholics or Irish Catholics. And they made clear, I say that because they told me every day, you know, <laughs> what, what, what they were and what it meant. And, you know, they, uh, all my friends in high school used to say, we can rebuild him. The $6 million man was the big show. Ago. And they'd always say, we can rebuild him bigger, stronger, stronger, faster, Catholic. And, uh, we had so much fun. My friends backed me a hundred percent. One of my favorite moments was, um, I was a junior uh, taking over from Greenwich High football was, you know, was the thing in the, in the county. And, and uh, despite the fact that it, people have a perception that it was kind of a tennis golf town, right. Or a country club town, which it is, but there's a big vein down the middle of the, of the, of the, of the town of, of football and, 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 and all about, all about football. And, uh, and I, I just remember my junior year, uh, I was starting and, uh, and we we had a, we went to a, all of us after the game went to the party that had team, guys from both teams there, and the guys from Darien kind of circled me up and they were going to force me to drink because I you know I was Mormon I don't drink and so that was like a big thing it's like we're going to force you know and they kind of fronted me up and it was going to be a thing they're going to hold me down and for and and I just remember my teammates my Greenwich High teammates coming to my rescue and basically you know taking these guys away from and like you don't get near my, our guy, you know? And I just, I, I just, I think back to what fundamentally happened in my high school career. And that's one of them, you know, the idea that people have your back mm. and you teach this principle, you know, every day. And now that you're a high school football coach and the values and, and the things that you feel are important about football and why football is a great game. Most of the time, it's not about just who wins and loses. It's really about the character development and the character development for me in high school was um that we were a a lot of different kinds of people a lot of towns are very similar homogeneic you know kind of like very you know everyone's kind of the same my town was like a a, a smorgasbord of people and the fact that we came together and our our, i remember uh we had this old 65 oldsmobile was that by then it was 20 years old and we heard that Dick Butkus used to get in shape for the Chicago Bears. It was a, it was a, it was a apocryphal story. I don't know if it's even true, but someone read it. Said he pushed his car around in neutral around the neighborhood. That's how he got in shape. So we thought, well, we're going to do that, right? So we got my old car and all those. My brother, brother's two years younger than me, Mike. We got him behind the wheel, put it in neutral, and started turn, pushing it around the uh, the neighborhood. And uh, I guess a lady saw us doing it. You know, you see two or three guys behind the car trying to push this big old lug around. And that's what, that was our workout. That's how we were going to get strong. And, uh, and I guess a lady in, 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 the, uh, in down the street must have seen uh, um, us doing it and thought it was dangerous because this little kid, like four years old, was like behind the wheel trying to guide it. She called the police. The cops pulled up. Goes, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? I, this is we heard that Dick Buckus, the Chicago Bears Hall of Famer, he used to do this back in the day, and we thought we'd get in shape. And the cop goes, "That's awesome. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going." 
And I just, I, you know, it was a, there was a spirit around, you know, what we were doing, how we, you know, my, 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 my sophomore year, I was, uh, that was the first year of high school, sophomore year. So 10th, 11th, 12th, 3000 kids in Greenwich high school. I remember my, my, I was playing JV and the first JV game was labor day and it was a Monday and JV, the varsity played on Saturday. And the JV played on Monday, and it was a holiday, so everybody had the day off. So everyone came, all the varsity guys, the varsity coach, everything. And I threw six interceptions. Oh, it was oh. like that. It just rained in the morning. It was super wet, and I didn't. I still didn't know how to throw a football. I had no idea. I was. I didn't learn, by the way, until I was in college. <laughs> so I spent all my high school years were fraught with terror because all I knew was to grab it and try to spin it out of my hand, kind of like. You wanted to spiral, so I would just like spin it, and I had no power on it, wouldn't go anywhere. And I threw one, Trent. I went to throw it, and it spun and it flipped out of my hand and went straight up in the air. Straight up in the air. And so we were waiting for it. This big pile of people were waiting for it to come down. <laughs> and I was, I jumped up, tried to bat it down. And of course, I batted it, and then I batted back up. And then it was like someone intercepted it. It was like six times, six, six interceptions. You you can't throw six interceptions. It's impossible. <laughs> you didn't throw six interceptions in a full season in the NFL. Oh my gosh! I go in after the game, and I'm like, all the varsity guys that are watching. You can think, you know, sophomore. What am I? 15 years old, and you're like, I'm trying to be an athlete. I'm trying to show my stuff. To this day, well, no, it's not my worst day. It was the 92 championship game, but it was the worst day of my athletic career. Like. I throw up in my mouth a little bit just thinking about it. And we went in and we're taking our clothes off and, you know, kind of changing in the our, our uniforms off and everything. We're, so we're kind of – I remember having my shoulder pads off. And all of a sudden, the, Mike Ornato, the varsity coach, he'd been around forever. He was a legend. He goes, fellas, bring it up. Bring it up, everybody. And he brings it up. He goes, this is the worst display of athleticism I have ever seen. You guys are the worst athletes in the history of football. <laughs> and you know, Chad, who's he, who's he talking He's talking to? to you. Talking to me, man. And I just thought, oh, my, and you know, your whole life when you're a sophomore is the varsity, is the, your town. I don't, you don't know anything outside of your little village. And I just remember the weight of everything just falling right on my head. And I thought, but... I guess the second half of the story, not to belabor it too much, um, my junior year, now that I was going to come back and try to play varsity, that summer, those of us that were sophomores, the JV guys, used to get together and were pushed, you know, beyond our limits. And everything we were thinking about was what Mike Ronato said, we were the worst athletes. And it carried through all the way to our kind of county championship in uh, my senior year that we all talked about. We're, we're not going to be the worst that he's ever seen. You know, it was like a, it was like a theme that we kept going. And, uh, you know, and my dad's Hall of Fame speech at Canton, Ohio, when I went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, his title of his speech was, well, he's a long way from Canton. Well, that was as far away from Canton as I could ever get, was, uh, was my sophomore year in high school. Enough of that. Well, those stories are amazing, Steve. I, a couple things unpacked there. I do think is, you know, one of the purposes of the show is for young people to listen to it and take something away from it besides just laughing um, and the lessons <laughs> learned. I think, number one, I loved what you said about learning that your teammates had your back and that character development in high school. And now that we're condoning fighting at parties, but um, just that. No, no, there wasn't a fight. Yeah. It was more of a, look, 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 we, in, in a way, it was not a fight. It was like, Look, we got we're he, he is supported. Yeah. You know, he is supported. That's a huge deal. And I was the oddball, right? I'm the I'm the one I'm the Mormon kid from you know, no one no half of my guy my friends were like, I don't know what that is, but I know he doesn't drink, so we're gotta we gotta back him. You know, and so I appreciated that. And then the second thing is just there's so many quarterbacks out there right now that, you know, they watch these videos and they see some five-star kid ripping it around. He looks like an NFL player, but there's some great athletes playing quarterback that haven't figured out how to throw it yet. And you admitted that you didn't know how to throw a football until you got to college, that the development of the position and learning how to hone your craft doesn't end. Just because you don't have it in high school doesn't mean you can't have it in college or, or later on. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that as well. Uh, you played three sports, right? 
Yeah, I did. And how much, you know, because there's this conversation around dual sport athletes and how much it contributes to their future success and how much do you value those other sports and how they better developed you and prepared you when you went to BYU and, and became obviously yeah. an All-American. And, you know, yeah, and, you and can't play, player. train. You can't play, you can't play three sports and be a great basketball player. Nope. I don't believe like I just think going straight from football to basketball oh, it's brutal. it took me a month just to try to get into shape and try to figure that out but they all fed back to football yeah like playing baseball and basketball helped football if you wanted to be a three-point sports star and play basketball I would say uh probably not yeah. but for me they all did feed back to football pitching the different things that basketball did uh I, I was a big fan of playing three sports for football um, I, I think football is the kind of game that there's expertise and there's specific talents that you got to hone, but they can, they can be honed in other sports in many ways, yeah. uh, where I don't think it's necessarily true for some of the more specific, you know, basketball has some specific things that you got to work on. And, you know, I think they, they, like I said, but for football, football is one of those catch all sports where, you know, uh, Ziggy Ansah, a great athlete out of Ghana, Africa can show up on campus in the United States and then be the number one draft choice a year later, you know, because football is a game that, you know, really is about athleticism and, and developing in your athleticism in other sports is probably okay. And I do worry that so many guys get started very young. I would have benefited when I say I didn't know how to throw the football. It really was a technique. Yeah. I, I thought you spun it out of your hand. I didn't know. I had to watch Jim McMahon when I got to college, how he threw like the screwball move, right. With a finger down, mm -hmm. And that's how you could get power on it. That's how you could, you know, once you got that that technique, oh, and then you could put accuracy. I, I remember thinking when I, when I learned, I'm like, what I could have done in high school? <laughs> but I think that you can uh, overthink it. I, I also want to say that there's a lot of parents that have come to me over the years, had me see their son throw the football and say, what do you think? What, 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 you know, what's the, what would you say? And, you know, I had to be honest and say, look, I think he's a receiver. You know, because not everybody, you know, these, I know everyone wants to play quarterback. I, why did I choose quarterback? Because the guy in seventh grade, when we huddled up, he says, only the quarterback talks in the huddle. I'm like, oh, that's, I, that makes that's sense. That's got to be me. Yep, I, don't know, I don't know what he does. I don't know what he's, I don't know what's happening, but I know that, uh, that, that's, that that's how I want to do it. And I also believe there is a, um, a spirit to it where uh, if you're driven by others, to, to, to try to, you know, go pro or go to get, get into college or even high school. Uh, it needs to be self-driven or else it'll, it'll fail on you. It'll fade. You'll, 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 you'll disappoint yourself and others. So be, be sure that when you're being pushed, that you're along for the, you know, that you, you know, that you're emotionally along for the ride as well. So that, uh, you know, a lot of seven, eight, nine, 10 year olds get pushed so hard that by their 15, they don't care about the sport anymore, which they would have loved if they hadn't have been pushed in a way that was unnatural to them back when they were seven, eight, nine. So no doubt. Hey, before we get to our first break, how'd that County championship turn out? Got beat. Oh. We, the fact that we were there, the fact that the, the pain and anguish that we went through, uh, it was funny. My brothers all followed me. My brother two years later was all, you know, he's like, he broke all the records and my brother, Tom followed him and broke all the records. And I didn't have the records. Remember, I didn't know how to throw the football. So, so you know, it's funny. You look back in Greenwich High School. You go to Greenwich High School right now, you play on Steve Young Field, you know. And my brothers are like, that's crap, man. That's just crap. <laughs> you weren't even very good. And they play on your field. All that right. is just crap. Let's go to our first break. When we get back, I want to talk to Steve Young about his recruitment process and his journey to Brigham Young University. We'll be right back. Hi, football fans. Trent Dilfer here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That's a lot of football. And guess what? This season, you get even more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in your front room. Stream to your favorite device. Just picture it. You put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks. Oh, yeah and stream an insane amount of football. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. To see if you are eligible, go online to nflsundayticket.tv slash sundayready 
and stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code DILFER2021 at checkout to save 15%. Exclusive student discounts also available. My life is nuts. Whether I'm coaching high school football on Friday nights, watching college quarterbacks on Saturday, or watching NFL guys rip dimes on Sunday, I am always needing that extra shot of energy, and I live on this triple shot. Starbucks triple shot energy, extra strength coffee beverage in a can. That's Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink. Four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and now available in two zero sugar flavors, black and vanilla. So what gives you energy? Find your Starbucks triple shot energy online or at your local store. All right, Steve, we kind of let's put the high school years to bed and talk about as you're being recruited, um, what that was like back then a thousand years ago. Uh, Were you a big time recruit? Uh, and then what eventually took you to, to bring me out? So I was I was a good recruit. I would I, mostly because I ran. I mean, at that you time in 1980, I was fast. Yeah. I mean, I was super fast. I was four four fast, yep. or maybe even fast. I mean, I was. I, I can't even believe how fast I was. <laughs> really, to be honest with you, and I could and I could move. And I could I could run. And so everyone ran the uh, split option, uh, you know, split option, or they even some people in Oklahoma's run the wishbone. Yep. And there's only three or four schools in the whole country that were throwing the ball, and that was Stanford, University of Miami, uh, Florida, and uh, BYU. And BYU had been doing it for a long time with Mark Wilson and Gifford Nielsen, and yep. you know they, that's that was the great equalizer for BYU. And so uh, I was recruited at Virginia, North Carolina wanted me to come in and start. They were running this kind of the split option kind of thing but I was not recruited like at Penn State or uh and I remember I was I actually got an appointment uh to go to Army uh up in West Point and I went up for the recruiting weekend uh and uh we once we watched them play Pitt and uh, Pitt's new quarterback freshman quarterback was Dan Marino <laughs> so I'm in my senior I'm in my senior year of high school and Dan Marino's the quarterback for Pitt as they played Army and I remember standing on the sidelines of my recruiting trip, and uh, Pitt was uh, coming down towards us, coming down the field. And uh, right in front of me, about 25-yard comeback, Dan Reno throws a laser out right like shoom, right in front of me. The guy catches it for like a big first down. And I remember thinking to myself, holy hell, I'm <laughs> – I don't know what I don't know what I'm about to try to do, but that is not what I'm doing. And it's just ironic, very interesting that the two of us went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame together. And I just think back to that time at Army, like, hmm, one of us does not look like the other. <laughs> uh, and you know, again, uh, I'm a late, uh, I blossom a little bit later, but uh, that was how I my recruiting process. I remember going. Uh, I, my interesting, I went to Virginia, and the right, right at the time they were trying to recruit Ralph Sampson, who was a seven foot mm-hmm. uh, phenom, you know. And I remember landing into Charlottesville, and on top of the buildings, they were like, "Ralph, please come!" Like people had put out signs and everything for uh, for the University of Virginia. But I had a, uh, I remember when I went to BYU, and I was a f- freshman, and I was eighth string, and no one knew my name, and it was just terrible. That I called my dad and said, Dad, I, I made a mistake. I should have gone to North Carolina. I could be playing right now. And they, they actually knew my name. They actually cared about me. And uh, and so I, I told him I wanted to quit. And he said, you can't quit. You know, uh, uh, I don't live with quitters, he told me. All right. Well, let's dig into that. I, I knew you were going to get there at some point. Let's dig into this culture of quitting. We just had a quarterback this week. Um gets benched, and now he wants to leave the school. It happens all over the country when guys don't get their way. Um, they're checking out. So I wanted to quit too. I wanted to quit about 150 times. I tried to quit my JV basketball team and I went home and my, my dad made me get back, go back and apologize to the coach, um, and said, I'll be back tomorrow morning to make up the practice that I missed. So you say you can't go around it. You gotta go through it. Right. So this, uh, go ahead, give us your Steve Young thoughts on quitting, getting through it, what that looks like. Well, people always say you can't, you can't quit. You don't want to quit. Or like, like wanting to quit is a rite of passage. Yes. Wanting to quit is natural. Yep. Want, and that could be because it's too hard, or it's you're you're, you're somehow embarrassed, Unfair. or you're insecure, or well, yeah. I mean, there's a thousand reasons, good reasons, 
to be thinking about quitting. Like I, I totally, in fact, if you don't go through that, Michael Jordan talks about that. I guarantee you, Peyton Manning, like nobody's free of, of having those strong. And that, and that never ends, by the way. You can be a pro, play in your fourth, fifth year, sixth, tenth year, and be in a situation like, oh, crap, I, I want to get out of here, man. This is too, this is too much. And so I think that you set yourself up for success. And I always say go through it, not around it. And I really mean it because as soon as you start a path around things, when you know you got to go right through the middle of it, it that path is just a path that – and, and look, you can, you can rationalize and you can um, – Rally support. Mitigation. A lot of people you rally can, support to support justify and say, Look, going you're right. It. You're right. You should. You should definitely. You know, my mom would have said, "Just come home. You're you're you're, you're miserable. You know, you, you let me let me make you some food. You know, like at some level, the people even love you the most don't want to see you suffer. They don't want to see that you do hard things. But in the end, and I I, I got to be honest with you, Trent. We've talked about this before. My one desire for my children is that they learn to do hard things. And how can I set them up in a very kind of uh, paved way, things that can show them that they can do hard things? I don't know if I'm being a good parent if I don't. But who wants to concoct or create hard things for their children when that's painful, when that's difficult? But in the end, life is going to bring them. And I guess that's my my. My one desire for them is that when they see it, that moment of truth when it's like I, I – and, and you can almost feel it. I can go around it or I can go through it, and I'm just going to live through it. And, uh, and, uh, and, if, and if you start to pave that road, that's a road that you can have confidence in 100 times over in the future. And I remember I played 18 seasons you know, in professional football, 18 seasons, and the, you just – you see everything. You know, Trent, you played 13 or five. I mean, you, play, you played forever too. You, you just, you think that when you go pro that you've seen it all and you're just getting warmed up. Uh, and so I go back to being O and O for the season as a 13 year old and 13 to 15 year old Babe Ruth baseball. O for the season. O, the embarrassment. The, 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 I had a, you had a, you had a rough stretch did. there between like 13 I, and 16, didn't you? It was tough. It was tough. I, I, once I started playing my junior year, things got better. Cause I, 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 I don't only say this to help myself out here, but I, I ended up being all state in three sports. So like there is a, there is a silver lining yes. in the story, but I gotta be honest with the roots, right? You can't don't, I could just told you that could have been the headline. You're like, Oh my gosh, Steve Young was amazing. <laughs> no, Steve Young was not amazing. And Steve had never believed that he was amazing for a long time. And I really kept that spirit of it. But my dad, set the tone when like he he was the kind of guy that said look you do what you love i'm not going to force you to do anything but when you choose to do it there is zero chance of you quitting zero and so for him that was the imaginal that was the that was the 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 line that couldn't be crossed and so when i was a freshman at BYU eighth string it was miserable i mean if i describe it to you i could go on for 5 10 minutes you go oh my gosh that was miserable that didn't matter to him. You had made the commitment. You work it out. And the amazing thing about that is that misery was the fall of my freshman year. In April, two weeks into spring ball through an incredible series of events, I'm now backing up Jim McMahon and play within the year. That next end of August, Jim McMahon gets hurt. I'm playing against the University of Colorado in Boulder. Within 10 months of being the most miserable human alive. So I'm not saying that always works that way. And it rarely does. But what I, you, you'll never know, know if you go around it. Yep. You, and I guess that's the point. You'll never know what really could happen unless you go through it. Oh, I love that. I've stolen so many good things from you. And you're the one guy I will credit. Most stuff I steal from guys, I just pretend that it's my own. But you, I always credit, and I have used going through it, not around it, more than you can imagine, and you still get credit every time uh, when oh. I use it. it. It's I hope parents are listening. I think kids actually 
intuitively want to go through it. This is what I've learned. I, I think deep down they want to fight through it. But what they do is they get these voices, and it's usually in the passenger seat when they get picked up, giving yeah. them a reason to go around it. And then the yeah. kid's going to believe Actually, his parents. encouragement, right? Yeah. Encouraged. Right. Well, we'll go, we'll go fix something. We'll go try something else yeah. or we'll go find some other, we'll go somewhere else where you can, you know, and, and look, there's success stories of people, you know, peeling out and going somewhere else. I get that. But, uh, man, I, I look at opportunities to go through it at this point as, as the most important opportunities that I could ever be given. You know, the idea that I would miss that opportunity to kind of grind it out. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, you asked me on the other side of, 30 years of, of sports playing sports, you know, that's my truth. Yeah. So what was that? What was that game like in Boulder? Let's get into that first time. I, oh no, that one, uh, that's where it launched me. Yeah. We, we beat, we beat Colorado, which is a big BYU that, you know, we, when we played out of the whack and played in the big 12 or the pac 12, I mean, at that time it was the big 10, the pac 10. Uh, but uh, those are big games. And so Jim got hurt and I went in and ran around. Oh, there's some great, there's some great highlights of me at University of Colorado. And that's what launched because as soon as the game was over, they're like, Steve Young is related to Brigham Young. Like it's great, great. I never even thought much about it. You know what I mean? But all of a sudden they made that connection and I'd run around and thrown some balls and, and uh, you know, Jim had taught me how to, th I mean, by then my sophomore year, you could rip I it. was, I could rip it. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you know, this thing's just exploded. Not only could I run, I could throw it. And, uh, and, uh, so I played at the university of Colorado and that was, that was the next Monday I was in New York city on good morning America. Really? Yeah. Because of, I think because of the connection yeah. of bringing, they thought that was pretty funny. Wow. All right. So this is something, uh, take you behind the curtain of Monday night football. Steve and I would sit on the Monday night football bus, Gruden's bus, Steve, Ray, and I talk, and the common theme was Ray screaming at defenses, correct? Uh, me egging on Ray to scream at defenses. But then you just rubbing your head saying, oh, my gosh, if I got to play in an offense like this. Okay, so now you watch college football. You will watch a ton of pro football. Um, these modern-day offenses where there's these quarterback runs and it's now okay to do it as a play call. All yours was frenetic, playmaking, run-around, scrambling. I need the, the audience to understand that. Like Steve Young ran around because the play broke down. Now quarterbacks run around because the coach calls a play for the quarterback to run around or run downhill, tack the line of scrimmage. Um, how unfair would it have been? I'm not asking you to brag on yourself because it's you and a few others too, right? Randall Cunningham. There's some other. Oh, no. How unfair would the game be? Because you were legit sub four four. There's, I mean, I know yeah, the so, story's true. You beat Jerry Rice in a runoff in practice, so you want you one of the fastest quarterbacks has ever played. So I appreciate that. I I think that I think it's important to recognize that the game, uh, even in the last three or four years, has significantly changed, and it's and it's brought. Think about it. College football is spring ball and summer camp. Yep. And that's the time that coaches and players can get together. It's not a lot of time. Yep. And so the sophistication of college football is not nearly as pro football because in pro football, there's significantly more time, yep. or at least there used to be. Used to be. When you and I played, yes. that was there was a true profession. And you had all that time to build sophistication into you know, offense and defense, but especially defense because that was, a, you know, not, and so in the pro football game today is exactly like college spring ball, a couple OTAs and a summer camp when you don't even play in, in the preseason. So there's not the time. So coaches cannot be sophisticated anymore. And so with that lack of sophistication, then you build into it a defensive hamstring, right? By being safer, you can't throw your body. You can't patrol the middle of the field. You can't throw, you can't lead with your head. You can't hit the quarterback. I mean, you can't like, I saw guys make really form tackles on quarterbacks today and they get flagged. You're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So the game has changed for safety reasons. And now it's an unfair fight. We've talked about that when we were together, it was becoming more and more of an unfair fight between offense and defense and even more so today. And so when you think about what you can get away with, you can, you can, you can draft Kyler Murray out of Oklahoma and run Oklahoma's offense yep. and Phoenix and for the Arizona Cardinals, you can draft Lamar Jackson and run Louisville's offense in Baltimore. Like 
That was that that was zero possibility back in the zero. day. And the fact is, when I watch it today, our 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 RG three when he came out in two thousand twelve and he was in Washington Redskins. I remember we were watching the game. Like, I you know the transition from college to pro now is is much smaller. Still hard. It's still a super fast game. Greatest athletes in the world. That's not still not easy. But the transition is is like less. So now you stand back six yards off the ball. And no one can no one can hit you. The flats are. I'm Tom Brady. I saw him a year or two ago, and he goes, "I go, Tom. What's the difference between when you when you came in the game when you started in 2000?" And uh, and he said, "Oh, it's incredible. I mean, no one can patrol the middle of the field. The flats are open every time you ever need anything, and no one can hit me. You know, it's like this is the greatest game in the history. I can't play Tom 50. No, and so there, and he probably could as long as he doesn't get hit and his arm doesn't give out because you really are protected." And, uh, uh, and so, yeah, I have a lot of, I don't know if it's jealousy or, or regret or, or just so, so sorry for myself or none of them really seriously, but I wish oh. that I, I watched the games I watched the other day with, you know, with Aaron Rodgers and how, how he thinks about standing in and playing. Like there's just, I used to say, and this is the best way to say it is I used to say when I was, when I joined, when I turned college a pro, what's the difference? I, people say, what's the difference between the college and pros? And I said, well, in college, Every receiver's open. And in pro, no one's open. And that's the biggest difference. Now, it's just that everyone's open in college and everyone's open in pros. And now you can run around. And I say to, and I say to you know, anyone who can't run around now playing quarterback, you are now at a huge disadvantage because there's too many yards to go get with your legs. There's too many touchdowns, too many first downs that are just, that are just out there. You just go pick them up like daisies out in the field. All right, we're going to go to our second break. If you thought that was good, I'm going to tee Steve up when we get back on the state of football in general, not just offense. But I used to love talking to Steve about his from his perspective on how the game has changed, ownership, front offices, all that stuff, as well as the state of quarterbacking uh, in, in the NFL. We'll be right back with Steve Gill. It's been a great start to NFL season, and it's only getting better at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. DraftKings is putting new customers in the center of the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Get in on the action now. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stand on the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the NFL action like never before with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And the best part is you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings app now and use code DILFER. This week, new customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Enter code DILFER to get free shot at millions in total prizes with your first deposit. That's code DILFER, only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, there's a lot of directions we could go with our remaining time with Steve. And again, I said this on the front of the show, please go watch his football life, read his book. He's so much depth to this man. Um, his compassion, his caring, his perspective. Like you, you just need to know more about Steve Young. But when I was with Steve, we'd have these deep conversations just about the state of the game. And remember contextually where he's coming from. He, he played in the USFL LA Express, he goes to Tampa, it was arguably the worst franchise in all of football when he's there, and then he gets traded to the greatest franchise in professional sports, the San Francisco 49ers. Great ownership, great coaching, and then he got to become a Hall of Fame football player there, and he can see things from 30,000 feet. I don't know if I know anybody better than Steve at looking at something from 30,000 feet and explaining to the audience where it was, and where it is. So I'm going to tee you up, Steve, and you can go any direction you want with this, but just football, the state of it, what you've seen, go. Yeah. Thank you, Trent. You're a good man. We we did have, I miss our conversations, uh, philosophical, you know, spiritual. We, we just, I miss you. So I, I think um, where I would want to go is football historically was command and control. And the coach had a big stick and he just hit everybody over the head. This is metaphorical, hopefully. Uh, and uh, and then you 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 performed because you had this fear. It was like it was through fear. And the, the idea of a coach and players, let alone owners in the pro game and players being partners, was just unheard of. 
And I think that's what I learned in San Francisco with the 49ers and Eddie DeBartle and Bill Walsh. Both had – that's why it was such a magical combination between the two of them because Eddie wanted a relationship with the players. He was an owner that wanted – he saw his players as family. He talked about it that way. Remember, I remember the first time that I walked in the door when I was traded there and he gave me a big hug and kissed me on both cheeks with his scratchy beard, you know, and he goes, welcome to the family. I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy. And then Bill Walsh and Bill Walsh at the time was focused on integration. He would talk about it in the first first practice. He says, I'm going to integrate this team. And of course, we're thinking black and white guys, right? Because that's what integration in our head meant. But he said, "It's integration is way more than that. It's all the little things that keep us apart, our socioeconomic backgrounds, our geography, where we went to school, um, our religions, our 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 language, our, you know, all the things that make certain our, our, our positions. Quarterbacks want to hang out with quarterbacks because we think we're smarter than everybody. The DBs, like he said, you could play on a football team for 10 years and you could not know players that are on your team because you just never sat down with them. And he says, that's not going to be who we are. If I come in the lunchroom and all the quarterbacks are sitting together, I am going to move you out. In the locker room, in the buses, in the planes, I am going to force you to go sit down with someone that you do not know. And you're going to have a conversation with them and you're going to get to know them. And we're going to have shared common experiences. I remember this is a, this is a pro football coach talking about shared common experiences because he said, if you have shared common experiences with everybody, you will have developed a relationship and you will develop an element of love for each other. Who says that? What coach says you're going to develop a level of love for each other? Well, back then, nobody. And nobody. Exactly. Back then, nobody. Nobody. Yeah. But that's why I want to give you the roots of where we are today. Where we are today, and I'm going to give Robert Kraft a, a, a lot of credit for seeing what the 49ers did for 20 years and saying, I want to do that too. I want to be that kind of an owner. I want to develop those relationships. I, I, I give credit for Bill Walsh handing his toolkit to Mike Holmgren and Ray Rhodes and Andy Reid and and handing everything. Think about what Bill Walsh did, Trent. He, at the height of his career, at the apex, he took everything that he knew, taped it, video, videoed it, audio uh, tapes, little tapes of him implementing offenses, speeches that he made, all the playbooks, everything that he had, he wrapped up and gave it to the coaches they left. And you are the beneficiary of it in Seattle with Mike Holmgren. And he said to them on the way out the door, I'll see you in the championship game. He knew that with this play, with this toolkit that he was giving them, that they'd have success. But he wanted them to have success. What's his legacy? Look around the league today. The Chargers, the Rams. I mean, Sean McVay, literally from the same, his grandfather was a GM here. Kyle Shanahan with his, brother, his dad, Mike. Seattle with Pete Carroll was here in San Francisco. And emanates from... Through, through Andy Reid and Mike Holmgren all over the league. How many coaches? Matt Nagy, Mike LaFleur. Shanahan, Mike Shanahan and his two Super Bowls. Right. Uh, Sean Payton, I saw him in Tahoe. Yep. He told me how Bill Walsh was the most influential part of his whole career. He has this precious note from Bill Walsh that told him, you know, I think you're going to be a great, great, great coach. These inspirations of what the league is today. The reason why the NFL, to me, is NFL is so great today is because they've developed a relationship a partnership between owners, coaches, and players. And they've included the players, and they see them as partners. And the teams that do a great job of this are the most successful ones in the league. The teams that still suck at this, that still don't understand it, are the teams that always are at the bottom half of the league. And it's like, I don't care what play you call. I don't care what quarterback you have. I'm like, look, in the end, football is the ultimate people, human, interactive, integrated sport. And when you can integrate it, you can be great. And the teams that are integrated and see each other and have a love for each other, they're hard to beat. Oh, so good. And I know you got more. Let's let's um, segue to quarterbacks. State of quarterbacking. Who, When you're watching it, who uh, are you a fan of? Who do you root for? Who do you see yourself in? I want to get to this, too, if, if you don't get there yourself. Left-handed quarterbacks, why are there so few? So, State of quarterbacking, again, nobody wants to hear me talk. Steve Young, go. The state of quarterbacking is that, you know, if you're a sophisticated thrower of the football, which sophistication comes through training, mm -hmm. nobody shows up a sophisticated passer. Mm -hmm. You can be a sophisticated runner, 
I showed up that in college. It's all about Lamar Jackson's a sophisticated runner of the football because he's just got this incredible skill. But a sophisticated passer of the football is trained. Yep. And the training comes through time and effort and, and, and a lot of hours. But it also comes from someone who can be – you know better than anyone, Trent, that you got to have a system that cares about quarterbacks. Yes. doesn't coddle them, yes. but cares about yes. them and recognizes that in football, especially in the pro game, that a, a, a quarterback that is supported and focused – and really, the whole organization should be spent on making sure that that quarterback gets the training and the support from offensive line, from the from the from the training in the in the lo- in the locker room and the in the in the in the teaching that he gets, so that he can. Because if he's thriving, your team has a significant better chance. And now, even proven last three or four years, even more so. We always thought it was a quarterback centric league before. Now it's like exponentially more quarterback centric. But you've got to be a sophisticated thrower of the football. And I, and I can tell you, when I played, there were five places that I thought were great places for quarterbacks. There are now, I'm not going to say 20, I'd say but maybe close 16, to 20. Six, 15 to 18. So it's tripled. Yeah. But it's still not 32. Yeah. There are some terrible places because they still have not taken in this whole idea of Bill Walsh and partnership and then focus on the quarterback. There's a lot of defensive-minded people that see the quarterback as they hate the quarterback, yeah. right? They're built to they're built to kill the Let's quarterback. Minimize and they don't yeah. and they want to minimize it. Like yeah. the quarterback's just another position. Everybody tries to and they, they use it, they use it as a weapon to go against what really is the most uh, again, it's not to coddle the quarterback. It's not to, you know, create some kind of uh, outlandish um you know, um, uh, behavior, but, you know, to focus and get them trained and be sophisticated. So I, a long way to talk about sophisticated throws of football, Tom Brady now being the one, the ex, the guy that's now 44, taking advantage of this, of the lack of sophistication in the NFL kind of, I'm sure he's, he don't, he would never admit this, right. But gotta be chuckling every time he takes the field. Like I can't believe how unfair this is because I am so sophisticated after 25, 24 years of playing football that like I can take advantage of that. And the sophisticated passers like Drew Brees who just left the game, um, Aaron Rodgers who really understands the game, Russell Wilson who really intuitively understands the game and recognize Russell's an interesting one because he's the guy that's built for 2021 because he can run, he can move around, but knows my bread is buttered out of the huddle making sure that my that I don't end up with the ball in my hands. And so that's the challenge for Kyler Murray and for Lamar Jackson, for Deshaun Watson, for uh, Josh Allen, for um, Tua, for, I mean, you name it. Uh, what'll be the tr- let me tr- name one because I want your take on him, Zach Wilson. So Zach's got, Zach has more ability. He has the most raw ability other than, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I have to say the, the three of them, amazing ability. Uh, but off-platform, as you talk about, and the ability to throw the football and, and to do unique things. And so, again, Zach Wilson's going to need training. Mm-hmm. And I think that he has the San Francisco 49er system, Kyle Shannon system, has been now transported with Coach Sala and, and the offensive with Coach LaFleur and everyone else. That, that, that he has that system. That's I t- He's going to be protected by that system. That'll be good. So he's going to get the training. But now he needs the help, right? You need support. Look what Sam Darnold's done in two or three weeks in Carolina with support and a plan and some people around him and a defense. Like all of a sudden he's like, wow, Sam Darnold looks really, really good. Well, that's part of you and I's history, right? Is when you get supported, uh, you can really dominate. And then Zach has a personal challenge while he's got a team that's kind of finding themselves and and figuring it out. He now threw, you know, just last week he throws a, Four interceptions. The first three balls he throws interceptions. Sounds like my my, my uh, JV game. You now need you now need to claw out of that. Yeah. You now to go. You need to go through that. Yes. And so Zach now has a chance, a challenge, and an opportunity to go through it, and to come out the other side, clawing away to show us that he. If they don't win a ton of games, we still want to see that spark that you understand how difficult this is, and that you can find a way through it to shine in places, in spots, and that you can still stand in there and play and continue to get better. And you don't make the same mistake over and over and over again. And that's the position he's in right now. I I cheer for him and hope for him, but I know what he's going through right now is the ultimate 
challenge in professional football, having very little experience, now being asked to step up and play excellent football in the NFL uh, now. And um, I'm excited for the opportunity for him because it's going to be, he'll look back and go, that was the most incredible, challenging, tough, uh, emotional, spiritually draining you know, took every inch of myself in every way that I possibly could, but the most rewarding thing that ever happened to me. And that's what he's in the middle of right now. I hope I'm with you. And I I hope that he gets a football life one day. And I hope he, you know, the one thing about your football life story that jumped out to me, not the story. I knew basically everything. I was on the plane with you and you were writing the dang book. So, but I never had seen those interviews. And back in the day when you would get that camera put in front of you, this is, when you still had all your hair and you didn't have wrinkles on your face and they would ask you these tough questions, you were so vulnerable and you would ask, answer them honestly about the challenges you were going through. And even back then you would talk about going through it, not around it. I think Zach Wilson, I think all these young guys, I think it's an incredible draft class. I think last year's was really good. I think the last yeah. three have been pretty darn good. If they choose to go through it, not around it, we're going to have, in my opinion, the greatest, era Generation quarterbacking we'll ever see and we have the opportunities that are there let me end on this because i think you'll light up when i ask this question and finish with this um your football life has had massive impact talk to me about the impact barb and the kids have had on you and also touch the forever young foundation in there too and just how you've been able to leverage uh all that you've been able to go through to help so many that's kind of you uh, we did let, leave the lefty thing out there, but uh, just know that there's not enough lefties there's not in the enough. world. There's not, and there's none in quarterbacks other than two at this point. So something's wrong. I'll leave it to your audience to go find out what's wrong. Uh, <laughs> I can get into a conspiracy theory, but uh, you know we won't go there. Um, for my family, you know, I I finished my career and got married about the same time. Yep. So I I really do have a demarcation of, uh, and I wish that I would have gotten married earlier and started my family earlier and had them know me as as the quarterback and that part of my life they've had to learn it obviously vicariously even my wife a little bit she we were we were engaged my last season so she she experienced some pretty tough times so she understands a little bit of it but you know in in many ways um people say do you miss the game and i do miss the game it took every inch of myself to to play and play well um but my life is so much more sublime and rewarding uh the game gave me a lot uh, it took a lot, but it gave a lot too. And I don't want to diminish that, but the significance of figuring out how to, you know, s- simple statements like happy wife, happy life, mm-hmm. um, things that the challenges, the daily kind of focus and the, and the, uh, the reward, I call it the law of love. Um, and I guess I, 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 I got to credit Bill Walls for starting this conversation with me, uh, that now, uh, but the law of love says that, you know, if you seek a transactional relationship, you, it will, in the end, not give you the reward that you're looking for. But if you seek a non-transactional relationship that you just, you give yourself for the healing and the wellness and the goodness of the person or someone next to you without seeking a transaction back, like it's not a deal. I'm not trying to make it, I'm not being good to you because I I, I yeah. want something back, but just honestly, wholly fulfilled, just putting it out there that I, I seek your wellness and health and, and, and well-being and then seeing the rewards of what comes back. It, what comes back is exponentially anything you ever could have wanted in a transaction. Yep. And so it's this beautiful, true, it's true. Uh, and my family life has given me the opportunity to practice that. Significantly transactional at first and, and struggling and then finding this beautiful vein of uh, what I call the law of love that was that's, that's been re- super rewarding. Barb is my wife is is she is a voice for the voiceless. Yeah. If she sees somebody marginalized that doesn't have a voice, she like literally as a every part of her body goes there to give a voice to someone who might not have it. Yeah. It's just a part of who she is. And so uh, that has been uh, a big part of our, our marriage. 
as she has seen uh, the marginalized folks, especially in the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, that's, and it's not just there, but it's a great example of her seeing a, a, a part of our, our, of our community that marginalized and not to have the voice that she felt like they should have. And so she's going to, and so she practices this law of love kind of like naturally where right. I had to, I actually have to work at it. And I'm just really grateful. I'm grateful you gave me a moment to talk about her because the book, and I actually, I wrote another, I, I, this is nuts. I wrote another book. It's not how you call, I'm calling it the law of love and I'm using it. My sports Good. experiences, uh, my business experiences. And my, my, my quote in there is the law of love is undefeated. Yeah. You know, anywhere, everywhere. And uh, and in family, that's where it really became true to me and, and real. And I'm grateful for my, my kids. I have a – my oldest boy is a music theater major. He's in Manhattan, wants to be on Broadway. He's a great actor, a great singer. I don't know where he got it from. But he was never an athlete. He did, he's very athletic, but he doesn't – he never wanted to participate in athlete, athletics. My other son is a gamer, kind of recluse. He's got my anxieties, and he's very careful. And, and so my boys – I, I had to figure out a way to uh, to parent, not myself. It wasn't like it was just, you know, easy to parent yourself, yeah. right? Another kid that just plays sports, plays football, and, you know, that's that's great. It's still not easy, but I'm not I'm making light of it. But I had to actually figure out how to parent someone that wasn't like me. Mm -hmm. And so my family has stretched me as much or more than football ever did. And uh, I'm grateful you said that. And then for the foundation, Barb and I have been Forever Young Foundation for years, just pecking away at trying to find ways to help kids, um, a lot of them in hospitals, yep. uh, music therapy in hospitals, recreational therapy units in hospitals around the country. We peck away at it over time and it's just a great group of people. We're one of the top 10 charities in Charity Navigator just because we're super efficient and run by really people of um, substance and and uh, do a great job. But I, Trent, you can't, I mean, you've given me way too much uh, credit here. I, I'm grateful to be able to talk about these great things in my life, but I, um, but I, I sit here now have been retired longer than I played. And I look back at the years now of my two kids in college and the greatest part of my life started when I retired. And I wouldn't have thought that I would not, I would have thought that the best was behind me. And, um, and you, you gave me a lot up there. You, you've been an inspiration to me. You've shown me, uh, the way in a lot of, uh, different, I watch you, I listen to you. I, when we were, when we were close, when we, we weren't so separated by distance, um, we were sitting across the table from each other. I, I, and I wanted people to know this. You're a thoughtful, spiritually minded, deep, fair minded, good guy that wants to see the world a better place. And I just really appreciate the chance to sit down with you and, and have it out a little bit because, uh, um, it's, I just, I, I miss being with you. This is, I want this to keep going. Yeah. I know we ran out of time, but I just, we, when we talk, I, 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 you bring out the best of me and I appreciate you. Well, there was no rap, but you did leave us on a cliffhanger here. <laughs> okay. I, I said that was going to be the end, but you left us on this cliffhanger. And what's the, you gotta do this quick, Steve. What's the conspiracy theory on left hand? For the <laughs> no. uh, well, in college, my, my offensive coordinator, Doug Scoville said, uh, now remember my freshman year disaster yeah, you couldn't playing JV. <laughs> I run into my coach. Who's the varsity coach. Doug Scoville was famously throwing the ball at Jim McMahon, breaking records. He looks at me and goes, you know, by the way, I don't coach lefties. <laughs> well, what? What, what do I they do now? Me, what do I do now? They, they moved me to defense in the, in, the, in the winter. Tom Holmo, who ended up being my teammate of the 49ers yeah. and now the athletic director of BYU, yeah. he was a defensive captain. But Love Alvarez sent me to the defense, played, played corner. You know, yeah, coach doesn't play coach lefty. So, you know, you got to go. What is that? So I thought, oh, that's unheard of. No one will ever. He ended up getting a coaching, uh, head coaching job at San Diego State that January. So three weeks I was doing winter, winter workouts with Tom Holmover and doing the back, you know, back pedal and all that. I'm like, oh, I wanted to just throw up on my mouth. It was terrible. And, uh, and then Ted Tolner came in. Yes. And was an offense coordinator. He saw me throwing because I now learned how to throw. Yep. And he's like, why are you not playing quarterback? And I go, well, because I'm lefty. <laughs> he, he, almost, he almost fell over. He's like, what? Who told you that? And I go, Doug Scoville said he wouldn't coach lefties. He's like, he just like, he grabbed his head. He's like, what is this, nuts? He walked, marched right into Lavelle and he goes, 
you got Steve Young. He's not going to let him play quarterback because he's lefty. And Lavelle's like, well, no, you know, blah, 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 blah. He said, look, I want two weeks of summer ball, of spring ball, two weeks. Steve Young's going to play quarterback. And if he does not make significant you know, change in the depth chart in two weeks, you can move him. And that two weeks, by the end of the two weeks, I told you, I was backing up Jim McMahon. And then I was playing that next, you know, next fall. And so that has been a constant. No one else in my whole career thought about lefty. Bill Walsh loved it that I was lefty. Mike Holmgren loved that I was lefty. Mike Shanahan loved that I was lefty. Steve Mirochi loved that I was lefty. So I've never thought about it again. But what bugs me is where are all the lefties? I don't know. We know, we know that 10% of, the, of humanity is left, yes. left-handed. There should be quarterbacks in the, in the NFL left-handed. So my conspiracy theory is there's the spirit of Doug Scovel's out there and coaches don't want to coach lefties because they have to flip everything. It causes some grief. And so I'm worried that somehow lefties are being held down. My conspiracy theory, they're being held down unnaturally. And I want to, I want to free the lefties. And I don't know how to do it, but it's, it's in my heart to go out there and try to figure out how we get more lefties in, in, in the NFL. I think we launched some social media accounts, free the lefties coming out of this show and and this just gives so you're going to teach me more. all that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to do this that. This gives gotta, you one you, more you. thing to add to your plate. I'll end here. Right. Steve started with this story. I got to put a bow on it. We're doing the Super Bowl in Phoenix pregame show. It's about a four-hour show. Um, it's a big deal on TV. ESPN puts all the resources behind it. Steve pats me on the knee. He's like, "Listen, we're we're not. I don't care how many times they tell us to rap. We're not rapping. We deserve to talk more. They got us over on this little side table. And we're going to talk more. So." We get going. Uh, we think we're talking Patriots. Uh, no, this is sorry. It was Miami because Teddy Bruschi was at the table with us. And we're That's out right. there on the beach on that side. Tim, we're talking Patriots. And we get a rap. <clears throat> Steve keeps going. And the rap, a little stern in our ear. We wear these little earpieces. And then about the third rap, he kicks me a question. So then I have to answer it. So now I'm getting the raps in my ear. And then Steve tees up Teddy Bruschi. Now he's stuck. It's his first year doing TV. We get six raps into it. And then our great friend, Matthew Garrett, who will listen to this pod, goes, shut the up now. We're done. We're going to pull the plug on you guys. Even <laughs> after that, Steve keeps talking. About well, I, had to go, I, had to ra- I had to finish it up. I mean, we can't just be cut short. You know? I think we were like two minutes, 45 second, seconds over the segment length and completely hijacked the rest of the pregame show at ESPN. So there's the rest of the story. Steve, I truly love you. You have been one of the great influences in my life. Uh, I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. Um, everything I am is better because of my time spent with you. And I appreciate you coming on. And We're in it together, brother. Yep. We're in it together. And I love you, too. So. Let's 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 do this. It's great stuff. Well, maybe we'll start season two with you and tee up on some other subjects. Love you, Steve Young. Thank you for your time. Uh, we'll see you next week on Beyond the X's and O's. Man, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Hall of Famer Steve Young as much as I did. So much to chew on there. What an incredible career. What an incredible man. Uh, big thanks to Steve taking his time to, to spend it with you and me. Also, big thanks to our presenting sponsor, Visa. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Beyond the X's and O's. It's been a great start to NFL season, and it's only getting better at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. DraftKings is putting new customers in the center of the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Get in on the action now. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stand on the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the NFL action like never before with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And the best part is you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings app now and use code DILFER. This week, new customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Enter code DILFER to get free shot at millions in total prizes with your first deposit. That's code DILFER, only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details.